0: A moment of business before we get into today's show. Surf Splendor is completely free, but you can support the show, and we need your support to help grow the show organically. Do so by sharing the show with a friend. Tell them verbally, send them a link to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com, or promote it via social media where you can find us at Surf Splendor. Thanks in advance and enjoy today's show. Welcome to Surf Splendor. It's Monday, October 21st, 2013. I'm your host, David Scales. Today we have an episode of Surf News with Scott Bass. But before we get into it, I'm going to play a conversation that I had last week with a guy named Timothy Hogan. Tim is a surfer and commercial photographer. You may have seen some of his work. Most recently, there's billboards and print ads for um, Beats by Dre headphones, and a Budweiser campaign for their new Black Crown beer. Those images were taken by Timothy. He began a passion project over a year ago, photographing surfboard fins. The series is just surfboard fins, beautifully lit, white background, simple and beautiful. Through the course of the year, Timothy has met a lot of shapers of these iconic surfboards and the designers of their fins. And it has inspired him to capture their stories. He has begun the process of producing a documentary called The Finn Project, and he is in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign to fund the project. Here's my conversation with Timothy Hogan.
1: Uh, it came about because I was desperately looking for something to, to, that was a little bit more soulful than the photographic work that I was doing. Um, you know, doing a lot of advertising work, it's a lot of, really high energy. Um, it takes a lot of energy but it it wasn't it wasn't very fulfilling for me from a from a artistic artistic sure. perspective. Sure. And I wanted something that I can really um, combine and do something with surfing and do something that mattered that mattered to me you know both personally that I was just into and that I loved you know geeking out on and, and as as tiring as this project is and trust me it, it is <laughs> <laughs> um, it's also you know I think it's a net gain of energy that, oh, that okay. I lost nice Then, then you you know that that so so many times with the commercial work that I've been doing it's like you get done and you're just you're just done sure and you got nothing left and this is kind of like yeah okay there's I'm exhausted, and, and you know we've been going like lunatics. But it's fun, and there's I get to do things like this and meet cool people and talk about stuff I'm super interested in. So that gives me energy. You know, I'm just doing it's it just a story that I saw, and uh, the story that I felt hadn't been given really the time of day. And
0: well, that's a perfect segue to my second question, yeah. which is, um, you wanted a passion project to kind of devote time and energy to. Why the fin?
1: Somehow there had always been this this fascination with the form. Um, I'm a real kind of like lines, objects, graphics guy just based that I'm a still life photographer. It was one of those things that was always in the back of my mind. You know, it was always um, something that just appealed to me from a graphic standpoint, and then when I started getting into the stories behind it, behind it and the, you know the, the huge amount of, of different designs and stuff, it just kind of kept kept going from there and, and as somebody who's into like lines and graphic forms and, and shapes and, and stories that those shapes can tell, I was, it's like it's like a gold mine every time I pick up a new fin it's a new story and what matters to me now is stories and about telling those stories. And part of, part of the photograph, the part of the, um, purpose for the photographs now is to tell the story, is to kind of like let people tell their own stories about the objects. Look at a, a green out knee board and kind of, uh, you know, let them think, oh, I wonder what George was thinking or, or I wonder what waves this board has seen or whatever. Or, so that's the kind of like the viewer's story on that object. And then for the people behind it, It's just telling their story and and getting into how they, not only how they came up with the design, but just, they're kind of like their inventor personalities in general are, um, there's a thing called inventor's mind, um, which is just that constant questioning and that constant kind of looking at things and trying to do things differently and not really following the path that everyone else tells you you have to, it's just that constant innovation and um, I think I can you know I identify with that a little bit but I also am really intrigued by it and intrigued by people like Greenow who have just done their own thing and gone to their own drummer and and done amazing amazing things created amazing things um it's it's the film's not about proving who was first or second or giving credit or being like no, this is the rightful owner of this title um I think the film is about the personalities and why people chose to think differently and why people chose to kind of live this life of questioning and passion and and whether it's a a motivated to just ride waves by yourself like like George or win contests like Anderson it's like like, how do those relate to one another why are they the same and and, and what are the differences but they obviously each have accomplished a, a great deal well who are some of the personalities that you'll be profiling so the way that it started out if I and the way that the the Doc started out was like I started to look at the eras in surfing and each of the eras really was precipitated by a major change in the way that people thought about fins so those kind of like five people are uh, Blake Simmons Greenow um, Campbell Brothers Mark Richards Simon Anderson those are like the ones where that was the paradigm shift to the next era whether it was twin fin era or, or, or whatever that's you know putting the first fin on a board fins going to the edges and working with hydrodynamic principles you know but there's tons of other stuff in there. Yeah. I mean there's there's you got I, mean, I, I could make a mini series yeah you know it could be a profile once a week for the rest of who knows about right. everyone so I'm not saying I'm not saying in any way that it's only these guys and that's it, because there's tons of other people we're going to be talking with. I want to talk with Derek Hind about about you know his theories and the friction list, and that's an important part of the conversation about you know performance. Because I really want to, through interviewing those guys and through kind of like these profiles, I want to try and ask like, you know, what's the next step? Like, where's where's the next thing going to come from? Evolution. Where's the next? And is it a design evolution? Is it a material thing? Is it a is it something completely different or are we just going to be rehashing something that has kind of gotten, been forgotten? Yeah. You know, but I, I find it hard to believe that, um, you know, obviously huge amounts of credit to, to, um, uh, to Simon Anderson and everybody with the thruster, but I, hard to, I find it hard to believe that the thruster is as far as we're going to go. I then asked
0: Timothy about the process of crowdfunding and using Kickstarter to have fans invest in the project.
1: Um, it's really important that the industry gets behind it and that that people uh, talk about it and do what they can obviously if people can contribute great I know not everybody I know I know not everybody can right um, but more it's more from a talking about a perspective and a spreading you know spreading the, the Stoke for it perspective that I want to get people involved. every tweet, every post, every mention, it, it all goes to build, you know, excitement and enthusiasm and, uh, and support, you know. If we don't meet the goal, everybody gets their money back and we go back to square one. Okay. Uh, I don't want that to happen. Of course, um, yeah. We're going to make the film either, you know, it's going to get made. Yeah. Um, it might change, might change. you know, change shape. It has to fit in line with, um, with the quality of the picture. So I want it to have a really high production value and... Um, that's just where my aesthetic goes. It's a very simple but very kind of like elegant production value. It's not going to be shot with DSLRs and stuff. It's going to be shot properly. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, pro cinematographers, you know, really nicely done. The link to the Finn Project's website
0: and Kickstarter campaign is on our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Here's what you can look forward to next week on Surf Splendor then we'll go straight into surf news with scott bass and then i'll be back at the end to close out the show thanks for listening next time on an all-new episode of surf splendor we hear one south african surfing legend's thoughts on the modern surf industry
2: And when I look at the media and I see these magazines shrinking, I see the surf industry shrinking, I see uh, revenue dropping, I just go, well, why have they become so myopic? Why are they speaking to one tiny component of of culture? You know what's happened? Is artifice has replaced art. Derivation has replaced inspiration.
0: And how the ups and downs of surfing prepares you for life's challenges.
2: How cool is this? Adriana Souza? is giving this old bastard some advice. I love them. Yeah. So you know, I'm saying that I'm a super stoked guy. I love my surfing experience. I love surfing when it's three foot. I love surfing when it's 10 feet. And as surfers, we are so lucky that we have that opportunity to continually push ourselves throughout our surfing lives.
0: It's a candid conversation with Sean Thompson about his new book, The Code, next time on an all-new Surf Splendor. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Okay, down the line, Surf Talk Radio and the Surf Splendor Podcast. Joining forces again this week, I am Scott Bass along with
0: David Scales from Surf Splendor Podcast. And David, what's the date today? The date is... October 21st 2013 it is a Monday at around 11 a.m. Southern California
2: yeah good to see you again and thanks for meeting me halfway here um these podcasts seem to be going well I'm getting a lot of positive feedback I wanted to read a couple of quick emails if I could please man boost my ego yeah let's see here um Scott um listen to your Almond Brothers surf video podcast. For me, it's hard to resist the music from the 80s and the early 90s. Surf movies that I grew up on had great music. The old Billabong movies were great, and a few of my favorite tunes include uh, Bittersweet by the Hoodoo Gurus, and This Must Be the Place by the Talking Heads. The winner for me, though, might just be Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall. You might remember it from the Quicksilver Performers movie, and that email comes from David Price. And then this one, real quick, David, Gentlemen, a quick and bit overdue email just to say how much I enjoyed the combo podcast you put together. Scott, we've exchanged email a couple of times and I hope you know how much I've enjoyed and continue to enjoy down the line over the years. David, it was great to be introduced to Surf Splendor. I've since listened to all the episodes. Both of you are providing me with something I really yearn for, which is surf stoke during long and landlocked work weeks. It's my hope that you both keep forging ahead in the podcast world, Whether you combine forces in the future or continue to pursue your individual efforts, rest assured I'll be there listening to whatever it is you both have to offer. So thank you most sincerely, Eric Quick. So Eric, thank you for that. It's cool. You
0: just do these things, especially with the internet, and then put it out into oblivion. And you can see numbers. You you know people are paying attention, but it's nice to hear feedback that they actually, you know, are listening and and that they care.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It is. It's great to get feedback like that, and um, I'm glad that uh, some people, at least Eric and my wife and your wife, are <laughs> we, we thank listening and enjoying our podcast. So I, yeah,
0: definitely.
2: do you want me to just start it off here?
0: Launch into it, man. All right,
2: Kai Otten, maiden victory at the Rip Curl Pro in Portugal. The Rip Curl Pro, of course, was at Super Tubes. It finished last week, and Kai Otten won the event in the process, beating John John Florence, Mick Fanning, and Parco on his way to that victory that is a great win and some great uh surfers that kai Otten took down will this be kai Otten's finest moment on tour yes it will be <laughs> um
0: i think he may have another final or two in him but his surfing just simply isn't as polished confident or well-rounded as um the guys that he beat, actually, making his way to the final. Um, I think his Kion strengths are tube riding, wave selection, and his undying determination to win. You know, that's been seen time and time again. Um, he won me over. I've never been a huge fan just because his surfing isn't exciting. But he won me over in round four in France where he had a heat against Burrow and Parco. And they had him comboed. About midway through the heat, he got a nine-seven-seven, which got him out of combo, but he still needed a nine-something. Both the other guys had nines; they had like eighteen-point totals. And um, with forty-four seconds left, Kai got held Parco off position, and he got a nine-four, and came out claiming the thing, tipped over. He got the score that he needed and advanced past two guys who anybody would have bet would have beaten him. Um, so I, I, I became. You know, I was endeared to Kai with that performance. In Portugal, however, I never felt like he did anything that was spectacular. And in fact, reviewing the event, um, his highest heat total was against Parco in semifinal one, and it was only 14.83. So I don't think you should be advancing through world title heats with a 14.83. And again, that was his best score. So the waves were, you know, marginal at best. But there were a lot of other performances through the event where guys were getting 17-point totals, you know? So um, he did have a tough draw, but he never really showed the type of surfing that his opponents did in their other heats. You know, like he did beat Parko, but Parko's other heats would have smoked Kai in any situation. Mick's other heats would have smoked Kai. John John's other heats, they all scored higher. So... I'm glad for him. Everybody likes an underdog. Um, I'm glad the title will be decided in Hawaii. But I do think this will be Kai's only win on tour. And I think that this will probably be the only year that he finishes in the top 10. What about you? I
2: will. Yeah, you sort of stole my thunder. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. You know what? This will be Kai's finest moment on tour. If it is not, if we are both wrong, I won't be sorry for that. I hope he does something great. Uh, but I would agree with you to me Kai's um, sort of falls in that you know middle rung of pro surfers where it's sort of like mix them match them yeah you know they're a little bit vanilla um, he's not in the top ten in my eyes and um, and although a good guy a great bloke whatever you know there's a million good guys a million good blokes you're one of them I'm one of them whatever you know what I mean like um, so uh, yes. What finest moment on tour has happened, and uh, I don't, I don't foresee him ever winning another event. For you, who do you feel was the performer of the event? Um, you know, I didn't watch too much of it. I was sort of underwhelmed by the, the by the event. You know, the big gap in, in um, you lay, know the, the, all lay the lay days and. Um, um, I'm gonna have to hold judgment okay. on that until I think about it a little more.
0: Yeah, sure. I um, Julian Wilson. Was the guy for me obviously there was that huge alley-oop um, but just heat by heat he was getting tubed doing massive airs and doing big wraps and carves um, surprisingly I think that uh, Matt Wilkinson deserves an honorable mention I feel like once a year he brings it at an event and um, it's really nice to see because you know obviously he rips but it's just he doesn't present it all that often. Last year, I think it was in the Coldwater Classic. He made the final with Taj. But, um, yeah, I mean, he got a couple nine-point barrels out there. And, of course, his wetsuits are always um, worth the price of admission, you know?
2: Yeah, my thing with Wilco, I struggle. I always put him on my team and then take him off of my fantasy surfer team. And and I, I think I think to myself, okay, Wilco, this guy just it looks to me like he likes to party. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Okay, he's going to France. You know what? He's probably gonna have a few hard nights in France. Yeah. So I'm not gonna put him on my team. Goes to Portugal, I think the same thing. And I found myself thinking, and I don't have any facts to back this up other than he's this sort of like happy-go-lucky guy that you just get the uh, feeling that, you know, he's in his mid-20s or whatever and he's on tour and he likes looks like he likes to have a good time. So he's, the, he's like the party guy on tour. Again, yeah. I'm just assuming this, I don't know that he is. But I have a hard time putting him on my fantasy team because it seems like everywhere he goes, I say to myself, yeah, he's probably going to have a couple of hard nights. So I'm not going to put him on the team. And then there are those moments, um, you know, one or two events each year where you're like, wow, the guy's on fire. Usually at the beginning of the season, I'll put him on, you know, because I feel feel like, okay, you know, maybe he's got that fresh start mentality and he's ready to take it serious this time. But um, we'll see.
0: I don't have the standings with me, but I don't think he's requalifying next year. Ah, so that's interesting. Yeah, so maybe we won't see him. Well, then. that's a
2: great segue okay. to the world title situation because uh, entering the final stop here of this 2013 ASP World Championship Tour, Mick Fanning and Kelly Slater remain in contention for the world title. Now, David, following Fanning's fifth place at the Rip Curl Pro Portugal, Slater... Wait, that's not right, is it? Fanning didn't get a fifth place, did he? Um... Yes, he did. Okay. So Slater has to win the Pipe Masters to surpass Fanning for the ASP world title. And if Slater is to win this event, the Pipe Masters, Fanning must place third or better to claim the title for himself. So my question to you, understanding this situation, will Slater win Pipeline and claim his 12th world title by Fanning not placing better than third? The answer is no. I hate to say that. Um,
0: I love when it gets this kind of exciting, and I want Slater to win, and we've seen him do it before, probably in more dire circumstance. But the cards are just the statistics don't um, favor Kelly. You know what you're. What you just said was that Kelly needs to win the event, and Fanning needs to not make the semis. Essentially, <sighs> can Kelly win the event? Yeah, he can, but. Nowadays, there's so many guys who are good at pipe. John John Florence, Parko now has proven himself there. Josh Kerr's proven himself there. Jeremy Flores, not to mention all the wild cards. And then that's completely ignoring Mick Fanning and the tear that he's on. You know what I mean? So if it was if it, Fanning was out of the equation, like wasn't surfing the event for some reason, could Kelly do it? I don't know. That'd be a gamble to bet on him. Yes, he can, but it'd be a gamble to bet on. You add Parka or uh, Mick to the equation and he has willpower alone enough to make the semis. He certainly has the talent to do it and he's on the biggest role we've seen him on since he won world titles previously. So I see, I could see them both being in the final series maybe, but Kelly besting him in that scenario, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't bet on it. I'm betting on Mick.
2: Fair enough. I think that Kelly Slater will will win pipe and that Mick will not do enough and that Kelly Slater will go on to win his 12th world title. You want to bet a beer on it? <laughs> I will bet you a uh, an, an iced tea. Fair enough. <laughs> Yerba Mate. Yeah, I'll have a Yerba Mate bet on this. And a, part of my thinking on this is that is that Kelly... Um, he seems to do his best when he sort of doesn't care anymore. And this sort of segues into something else that we're going to talk about. But I get the feeling that Kelly's sort of um, uh, lacking motivation after the, the, the sort of sour note that he went out on at, uh, in Portugal. The bad waves, the long lay days, the sort of, he sort of had a, I don't give a crap, sort of mojo about him after the event. And he's really dangerous when he's in that space because when he doesn't care, When there's really no pressure on him at all, he seems to shine. And a lot of times he'll go into events. uh, Well, it's my assumption that he goes into events kind of going, you know what? Whatever happens, happens. I'm cool. I'm good with it. I've got 11 titles. That's when all of a sudden, after the first season, he's like, wow, I love this. I have no pressure. I'm surfing the best I've ever surfed. And he goes on his own little mini tear through the event. And I anticipate that happening again.
0: Well, I would have expected that to happen in Portugal. Why didn't it happen
2: there? I, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that he felt pressure, that he's like, I'm still in this thing, I've got to fend off uh, okay. Fanning and Parker whereas now he's kind of like, you know what, it's all good. Plus, I have a mini conspiracy theory, which is that um, he's in line to take over Kieran Perot's job as the commissioner, and it's hard to do that. This sort of goes against what I said earlier. Sure. About, but it's hard to take over the commissioner's role if you're the, tw- if you're the defending world champion. So if, if that, in fact, that position is his to take which I believe it is, uh, will he take that? And will he just go out on a high note and be the defending champion and not defend his crown in 2014? Um, that's my conspiracy that perhaps he's all lined up to take that job.
0: What um, What if the waves suck at Pipe? What happens then? <laughs> that, that,
2: that's a segue into a whole nother thing. Let me stop well, you there
0: well, and wait. segue in. Okay, but before you segue away, I got more to say. <laughs> okay. um, well, were you going to segue
2: into? I'm going to um, segue all over. I got so many <laughs> segues, dude. You don't even know. We've, Let me segue into the state of Kelly, since we're talking. Yeah, about that's the that's state what I Kelly. was going to say. Kelly lost his round two heat, as I mentioned, as you know. Portugal slop. Afterwards, he seemed disinterested, right? Perhaps ready for a break. Will Slater retire after this Hawaiian season?
0: Yeah, that's kind of the segue I was going to take too, because I've never seen. I don't know that I have ever seen Kelly that apathetic. Um in the middle of a world title race. You may be apathetic after losing a title race or um, being so far ahead, you know, but in the midst of it, he really didn't seem to care. It was after a heat loss, of course, so that event was over, but the world title race was still on. Um, The lack of preparation also was something that really surprised me. Like he was riding the wrong board by everybody's estimation, probably even his own. It was a quad. everybody commented that Mick is the first guy in the water in the morning before the sun's up even if he doesn't have a heat even if it's a lay day and the last guy out of the water at night Kelly on the other hand shows up late to the event to the contest site like and shows up just before his heat haven't, haven't having had a, a free surf so he admitted actually that he was un, um that he didn't have a game plan and one of the quotes was that he said was um, I'm not inspired by the surf in the last three events. He also said, I'm sort of glad it's over. He was probably referring to the heat, not the title race. He also said, I don't know if I'll watch much, referring to the rest of the event. That doesn't sound like somebody who's engaged. And then he also said about that heat, with five, of 10 minutes, with, with five or ten minutes left, I had already given up. With 20 years on tour, it's hard to get motivated for waves like this. Mick is super motivated. Is all that a ruse and he's trying to let people think that he's not interested? To me, it seems sincere. And I, again, haven't seen him that apathetic ever that I can remember.
2: Yeah, a couple of things. Kelly, um, again, I don't know all of Kelly's movings about what he does before and after each event or each heat or whatever. I do recall and I have read and from what I know of Kelly just through the media and stuff. He kind of he always sort of shows up late. Right, and I don't think that um, I think I think he's general. Just because he's not in the water at dawn, doesn't mean he's not ready for the heat. Um, I'm sure Mick is, you know. But I think to to sort of make that leap, you know, that just because he's not in the water, he's not ready. I think he's ready to go now. And crap, I think the big factor here is what you mentioned is the crappy waves. The waves are crappy. Yeah, And at some point he's like, dude, this is Huntington Beach. Are you kidding me? You know, what happened to the Dream Tour? You know, like you would think with just two events left, you know, we would have some great surf. Yeah. And we're anticipating great surf pipes. So, you know, you mentioned the word ruse. That's a great uh, observation. You know, is this one of his great, you know, I'm going to hug Andy on the beach moments? Um, I don't know. But it will be fun moving so, forward.
0: So, well, let me ask you this. Um, we keep saying, or maybe I just keep saying, like, we've seen Kelly in this situation before where it comes down to the title and all the pressures on him, and that's when he performs. I'm now thinking, have we seen Kelly in this situation before? We've seen him go head-to-head with Andy Irons, was his greatest challenger, and we've seen him go head-to-head with Mick. Um, but in this scenario, up until now, there was a lot of people contending for the title, and... And, um, so, and they're not contending for the title anymore, but honestly, they're worthy contenders in a heat at pipeline. You know, if he draws Parco or he lost to Kerr last year, um, I don't know that we've ever seen him in that situation before where it's like, there's five or six guys who pose a serious threat to Kelly. And, um, so is it enough for him to just be lackadaisical and show up late? You know, is that enough preparation It has been in the past but now there's guys who are ready to cut your throat you know
2: yeah i i I don't know you know i do know this i don't think kelly's looking at individual guys and five or six guys that he has to compete against my feeling is kelly's looking at like i gotta win pipe i know what i gotta do to win pipe i gotta surf backdoor for the most part unless there's lefts presenting themselves but i'm just gonna dominate both ways i'll dominate backdoor and i'll dominate the left at pipe and that's what i got to do. i got to win pipe. I've done it numerous times. Yeah, I don't know. He must have seven or eight pipe titles, something ridiculous like that. And i just got to take care of my side of the street. Whatever happens on the other side of the street, I don't have control over it. So I'm just going to go out there and win pipe again. And I'm sure that that's you know, his, his uh, outlook on it. I don't think that he gives a crap about how Parko or, or McFanning or any, anybody else, J- Jordy, any of these guys do.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's the only mentality you can have. But I also think that in the past, there was nobody mentally strong enough to have that same mindset. And I think that now there are, you know. I think even the Groms on tour, like Felipe and uh, Gabriel, aren't threatened by Kelly. They'll go out there and just put together two nines against him, you know. Whereas in the past, people might have crumbled. And I don't think those guys are necessarily going to do well at pipe. But I do think, you know, Mick, I, I think Mick will. Um,
2: You mentioned Pipeline. Yeah. Pipeline season ender. Right. This has been one of my um, pet peeves for a long time. This year's Tour Championship crowned at the final event of the year. Um, But it was almost crowned before the final event of the year. Right. This has happened numerous times in ASP's history. Each time it is a letdown for you and for me should the world title be decided at pipeline each and every year no matter what via a weighted point system
0: um, I'm not bothered by it to be honest I know that you you feel strongly about it I um, and I'm open to your to hear what your thoughts are on it because if the world title ended in Portugal that'd be okay with me and I'd still watch pipe I prefer it to go to pipe but I'm not Bothered by it, I guess. If there was another uh, point system presented to me, you know, I'd totally be interested to hear
2: what it was. Here's my take. Yeah, there, um, there can be a pointed, uh, a weighted point system that makes sense. I don't have it in front of me. I'm, and I'll let the brilliant minds that know how to do that kind of thing. Do it. Yeah. But I know that there's enough brilliant minds in the world to make it so it makes sense because it's already done in numerous sports. It's done in golf with the FedEx Cup. It's done in NASCAR they always finish with a Sprint Cup thing where it's like comes down to the wire. Okay. And so I know it can be done and I know it should be done because this is our sports Super Bowl. This is the Pipeline Masters. And I think it's very important for the health of the ASP that uh, that they have this thing be more than just the Pipeline Masters, this needs to be our Super Bowl. And uh, there can be a weighted system that makes sense. It can be done, again, I don't have the actual points model or paradigm or whatever, but I know it can be done. So
0: your concept would be that pipeline is worth more points than any other event yes, on tour.
2: Exactly right. Yeah. And it might be a thing where you have to reshuffle the, um, like you put Kelly already into like round four. Right. And you know, and you, and so you back weight it with the back half of the tour.
0: Yeah. I'm not opposed to that idea. I think maybe that's kind of what the goal of the triple crown is where the Triple Crown as a whole is the Super Bowl, you know, but Pipe still. Triple Crown, around. the
2: two different things. I mean, the Triple Crown, first of all, is not owned by the ASP, although yeah. it may be now. I don't know what sort of negotiations they have going on. But, um, and, you know, quite frankly, a lot of those guys don't do those first two events. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now yeah, that's interesting for sure. Pipeline. So.
2: Um, Am I going too fast for you? I'm just throwing it at you, dude. Not at all. uh... The ASP dishes out pain on J-O-B. Jamie O'Brien and Ricardo Dos Santos got into some fisticuffs back in August during the Billabong Trials at Tahiti. And the ASP has fined O'Brien $5,000 and will not allow Jamie O'Brien to surf in the Triple Crown events, including his beloved Pipe Masters, an event he's won. And he's won numerous events at Pipeline, many of the... um, You know, either the Monster Energy or whatever iteration of that event that they have, the Volcom. Now it's the Volcom Pipe Pro. Right. O'Brien said, I don't know, whatever. It's all good. Contests don't mean anything anyways. I hope the waves just drop. That's what I hope. I hope that everyone comes here for the Pipe Masters and the waves just suck. Is the ASP's fine too harsh?
0: No, I don't think it's too harsh. I think it's totally in line. Um... The, so,
2: fisticuffs means no triple crown, $5,000.
0: Yeah, well, let's get it clear. Um, it was during the Billabong Pro trials, and apparently, my understanding was that the trials event isn't sanctioned by the ASP. So, the ASP initially didn't comment on it. Why they've decided to get involved now, I'm, I'm curious about, but I still think that the punishment fits the crime because to explain the situation, For some reason, we don't have video of it, even though I would assume the trials are filmed. But that film hasn't surfaced yet. Um, Ah,
2: we need some Zabruder film It's just surfaced. Well,
0: I've read a lot of different people's accounts on it, but basically what happened was um, the heat was winding down. Jamie needed a score, but Ricardo had priority. So Ricardo took off. He needed like a three or I think Ricardo might have needed like a three to advance. But um, Jamie needed a score as well. So, Ricardo took off with priority, deeper than Jamie. Jamie drops in on him. Ricardo's goofy foot, Jamie's regular foot. So, they end up bottom-turning facing one another. Jamie throws what many say was a punch. Jamie says it was an open-handed slap. This humble (laughs) commentator's opinion is it doesn't matter.
2: Doesn't matter. But
0: anyways, Jamie throws a blow, hits Ricardo in the face. They both fall at the bottom of the wave. They come up from the back of the wave, Ricardo paddles over, throws punches, Jamie throws punches, and they're fighting in the water. So that's the way the scenario went down. Had they gotten to a fight at a bar after the event, maybe the ASP, you know, maybe the punishment would be too strong. This was in the water during an event in a critical exchange completely unacceptable, like no two ways about it. So yes, Jamie should be fined. Yes, he should be eliminated from some events. I think he got off kind of lightly. Five grand, three events. Um, It should also be stated that Ricardo Dos Santos was fined. His fine was only $1,500,
2: but the same suspension. Let me ask you this. As a fan, do you feel let down that you don't get to see Jamie O'Brien in the Pipeline Masters? And I'll say one thing. If there's one guy that I know... Gets under Kelly's skin, it's Jamie O'Brien and Kalani Chapman. Both those guys, I think, bothered Kelly a little bit. Heck no. I don't
0: care if he's not in the event. I have been a big Jamie fan for years. But the last couple of years, I've really fallen off the bandwagon. Number one, he hasn't performed in contests the way that he should. Um, I think he's disrespectful of the lineup at Pipe. He notoriously burns people left and right. And to me, really, the, the clincher is all of his um, Jamie O'Brien 2.0 and 3.0 series that Red Bull sponsors that is on YouTube. They're eight to 10 minute long episodic kind of mini series that they do with very little surfing and just a ton of... World
2: According to Jamie? Uh,
0: yeah, totally. And it's <laughs> And it's stupid behavior. It's not even like funny to watch. You know, like I'm interested in surfing and I'm interested in Jamie O'Brien and it's hardly entertaining and then there might be two minutes of surfing and admittedly he shreds but it's like dude what is red bull doing footing the bill for this guy you know let's see him surf so that's my my feeling on it
2: what do you so my feeling is that the fine's not too harsh it's in the rule books jamie jamie signed up for this and um you gotta obey by the rules and the rules are the rules they're in the there's rules for a reason
0: here's another question i have to you is um what is the outlook for Ricardo dos Santos going to surf pipe this winter?
2: It it makes it very interesting, right? We're all going to be on I on heightened Ricardo watch as he strolls down the beach past Jamie's front yard.
0: He made cover shot last year
2: at pipe and wave of the winter. It's certainly in the back of his head, you know. Jamie's more or less uh, I don't want to say threatened, but basically said, you know, good luck coming over here and surfing because you know you're you know everyone hates you more or less. You know, you better you know, look over your shoulder type of thing, you know, whatever that means, like sort of like a veiled threat. Maybe that's too strong of a phrase. Um, But he did say, hey, man, you know what? He's got to come to my backyard and deal with my friends at my spot. So good luck to you.
0: You know, I feel that on the North Shore, certainly um, it's kind of run by, you know, surfers and not necessarily like police type authority. But I do feel like there's um, honor among the way that it's run. And I would really be surprised if the powers at be sided with Jamie on this scenario. The way I understood it fell out after the Tahiti punch-up was that um, the, the kind of enforcers back home in Hawaii reached out to Jamie and said, that was completely unacceptable. You need to go apologize. So they were the ones that pushed that to happen, which Jamie did apologize. There was a photo of it I think Jamie posted it on Instagram with an apology towards Ricardo. And, um, and you know, I don't know that he would have done that had the quote unquote enforcers back home, not encouraged him to do so. That's
2: all very interesting. I didn't know any of that, David. And I, um, I'm interested to know, um, where your sources are for that.
0: It's all hearsay. And it was all on Instagram for 12 hours, basically the night that it happened. I happened to be up late (laughs) watching it and then stab classic stab posted the article. And again, it's, well, there's Ricard- a lot
2: of backstory here because I also heard that that um, that Ricardo took one image of Jamie sort of bowing his head to Ricardo in sort of an act of submission, and then said, "See, Jamie O'Brien was in the wrong," you know, and that made Jamie get mad. Like, hey, you just took one photo of about a hundred photos. I didn't. I wasn't bowing my head. It just so happened that somebody took a picture right there when my bed when my head was bowed, but yeah. I wasn't like submitting to you I'm just saying look you know let's apologize together there's a lot of um if anything this is a classic case of social media sort of you know running amok for both of these guys you know
0: it's just hard to ignore the fact that Jamie threw the punch on a bottom turn on a wave you know what I mean it's kind of like whatever happens from that point on you can't blame Ricardo for fighting back first of all but second of all for being angry and posting his angry rant on social media yeah, and, and I'm glad he did it the more angry totally.
2: rants the better keep them coming and <laughs> despite I'll, the fines completely and to be honest
0: he retracted or not retracted but apologized for even doing that after the fact which I thought was kind of a big move on his part so I, I would like I think he got better waves last winter that I saw in the media than Jamie did at Pipeline and if he charges that hard and surfs that well dude I want to see him out there.
2: It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. My gut feeling is is just the veiled threat that was put out there uh, might be enough to just sort of temper Ricardo this year, and he might just um, not have the same presence that he had last year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Next up, Great White Tober. Great yeah. White-tober. Did you come
0: up with that title, I by did. The way? Thank
2: you very much. Nice. Yes, Great White-tober. Shark attack uh, recently in Jay Bay, a gruesome one, where the shark uh, ate the body of the swimmer while a kayaker tried to stave the beast off. And uh, in October, uh, well, October 8th, Jay Scrivener was attacked, receiving 30 stitches, and considers himself very lucky. That happened up in Eureka, California. And there have been numerous Great White sightings just in the last week in Malibu. Uh, at El Porto in La Jolla, and this year NOAA researchers determined that great white sharks make up a distinct genetic group that does not have a high risk of extinction, yet the state of California has said that maybe they are a possible endangered species, and that paves the way for yet another study. At what point, David, do we take Great white sharks off of the endangered species list. These are apex predators. They seem to be showing up in mass. And I, for one, do not think that they are losing the battle.
0: No, I don't either. I don't. I think that they should be taken off the endangered species list. It's certainly a topic for scientists to determine, not for me. I no, don't.
2: no, no. We're the ones getting eaten. <laughs> we are allowed to discuss this and opine with a certain amount of authority, even in, though we don't have scientific basis, in that case, <laughs> to kill, do so. kill them all! Kill them all! Yeah. Um, so there's a number of
0: factors that determine whether or not a species should be put on the endangered species list. And where do you come up with this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you do way too much research. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I think that maybe the great whites fit that requirement at one point, which is why they were put on do they still meet that requirement i don't think so um there's five factors and you only need to meet one of the factors in order to be put on the list but i'll just read the five factors the first one is the present or threatened destruction modification or curtailment of its habitat or range that's not happening Go ahead. no the second one is the overutilization for commercial recreational scientific or educational purposes that's not happening the third is disease or uh, predation we don't know Probably not. Probably not. Um, the fourth one is inadequate existing regulatory mechanisms to
2: protect it. There's tons of those. Tons of requirements. To right. Predict.
0: And the last one is there are natural or
2: man-made factors affecting its survival. That's natural man-made factors affecting all of our survival.
0: Yeah. And, and so maybe there's an argument for that one, you know. But again, maybe in the past there was arguments for one or two of those points and they were put on the list for that reason. I would like to see what are the requirements for taking them off the list. Because they don't seem to meet them. How about this
2: one? Yeah. That NOAA researchers determined the great white sharks make up a distinct genetic group that does not have a high risk of extinction. My problem with this is that you've got a federal agency and a state agency basically butting heads. And one's going, look, we've done tons of research. You give us tons of tax dollars to do so. We're telling you, they're not going extinct. Yet California State Parks and has to go well we're not sure let's do another study to me another study is like let's just throw our tax dollars at some like bunch of scientists so they can keep their jobs yeah which may or may not be a good thing i'm not against scientists losing their jobs but how many studies do we have to do and what's wrong with the NOAA study
0: i agree that seems to be what's happening but it's not that black and white it seems that the scientists are the ones who are polarized like one um One study that's actually being used to push forward a lot of the legislation that was done um, says that there's as few as 219 great whites off the coast of California. The method for counting the sharks was that researchers lured great whites close to their boat by slowly pulling pulling a fake seal. They identified 131 individual sharks by the distinctive patterns of nicks, notches, and scars on the trailing edge of their dorsal fins and then used mathematical models to calculate the likely population. Which seems
2: ridiculous, and that's That's, where the- That's completely ridiculous. They they counted 131 with one seal. Yes. And then they only come up with 219 total? Well, they use mathematical models. That's bull.
0: Right, of course it is. And so there's a lot of criticism of the study. And there's a second study that's being done that calculates numbers to be as much as 2,000 great whites in the same area. Yes. So um, the one point that doesn't seem to be contested is what you said, that they make up a distinct genetic group that doesn't have a high risk of extinction. One scientist said that um, it's an uncontestable point, and that the num- the uncontestable point is that the number of the population has grown more rapidly than any other example scientists have in marine life.
2: Ah, so, that's
0: interesting. Yeah, whatever their genetic advantage is, they're able to populate more quickly and recover the species more quickly. So more work needs to be done. Uh, it's unfortunate that more money needs to be spent in order to do it.
2: I know that after the sur- the uh, swimmer in Jay Bay was taken, that the surfers there were up in arms, and their basic feeling is, and based obviously in strong emotion, is, you know what, get rid of them all. Yeah. Now, of course, that's way too strong. Yeah. Now, the ASP, changing directions. The ASP announces its media deal, one that we knew was coming. The deal is with ESPN, YouTube, and Facebook across the linear broadcast digital and social media spectrums. That's marketing BS right there. The deal includes a highlight show of each tour stop on ESPN, and all events will be webcast off of the ASP YouTube channel. David... Is an ASP highlights show on ESPN must watch TV? Sometimes. Cloudbreak this year, yes.
0: Trestles this year, no.
2: You know? Why would you want to watch um, a highlights package when I know you and you um, are like me and many, many surf fans? We're going to watch the live webcast. Why would we watch the highlights show boiled down two weeks later? Well, you, you're. Why would you set your schedule to it?
0: You're talking about a very, um, sub group of hardcore surfers who is going to watch it and is going to watch Kelly's, you know, standing arm open barrel in, um, cloud Break 10 times each. And we're going to watch Julian's alley-oop 10 times each at right after it happens. So I think that there's another group of surfers who may watch the event live and then, um, not watch it 10 times. But each. will
2: they click through it and happen to find it on TV or will they schedule it and record it well, the, the highlights package? I
0: I'm thinking And what, is it
2: just a stupid question?
0: But no, but the highlights package isn't necessarily going to be a one-off like its own programming, maybe it's part of Sports Center you know what I mean?
2: Like if they incorporated, we don't know that now. Could no, we be, don't know anything. But I, my gut feeling is it's going to be buried on like ESPN U or something like the Ocho, <laughs> ESPN XX, which is you know, contact your cable subscriber. <laughs> well, we don't know that. You know, we and, don't, we and don't. they they haven't really given that much information yet. It was sort of a. A trick question. Yeah. Because I guess the deeper question for you is, are you looking forward to the new ASP webcast? Of course we are, right? Let's see what it looks like. Um, What are your thoughts on on this press release that was spat out to us?
0: I like that all the um, events will be broadcast at the same URL. You know, like their different events
2: don't have their their own. Did you event take site. a look at the new ASP website? I did. Yeah, yeah, I like it. All right, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. What did you notice about the say twelve or sixteen surfers that they had? They had mug shots of twelve yeah. to sixteen surfers on there. Was there something that stood out to you about those twelve to sixteen surfers?
0: Um, no, what stood out
2: to you? There was only one Brazilian, Adriano uh, okay. de Souza. One Brazilian. It was made up strictly of white guys. Okay. And um, I found that interesting. Uh, to me, it says, you know what, we're trying to sell this to North America. Okay. Um, now, maybe I'm wrong, but where's Gabe Medina? You would think Gabe Medina would be on there. Like, well,
0: maybe it was done by ranking.
2: It could be. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I, don't I know just either. noticed it. I looked at it and went, that's weird, you know. And even if it was, why wouldn't you mix it up? Why wouldn't you throw, like, you know, a cross-section of all of the geographic regions in your little, you know, your little 16, top 16 portraiture?
0: Yeah, interesting. I didn't. I did see their mugshots. I didn't even make note of who was who. I just scrolled past it. But um, yeah. What but about no.
2: the What about the executive board? You can scroll down further, and you can see the four or five guys that are on the executive board. What was your take on on, on that that they needed to have their pictures up there? That that um, I'll tell you. I'll just let me tell you yeah. what my take yeah, on it yeah, was. Yeah. Was um, I was lucky enough to have uh, dinner with Paul Speaker. He sat at a table that I was at, and super smart guy, and just. Really, talk about a great speaker and inspiring, and I'm confident that those guys are going to do everything they can to make it work. But when I saw those four or five guys, including Paul Speaker, I thought to myself, now that looks like a group of guys that ride stand-up (laughs) paddleboards.
0: That was my take on it. This coming from a guy who rides a stand-up paddleboard?
2: I ride it all. Um. uh,
0: no, I agree with you in that, but good. I mean, I mean, not good that they ride right stand-up paddle boards, but good that we have some real professionals in there, not just former pro surfers. Right. I think that's the direction it needs to go. Yeah. You know, it's time. Um, but I didn't, I didn't think much of it. I think it's nice. I actually liked it. I think um, it's nice to have a little transparency to yeah. see who's who yeah. and what their job
2: requirements are. You know, well, the one guy I noticed was a big hitter at Visa. And All of the guys are big hitters. Like yes. This is not some lame board of, like you say, like, you know, ex-pro servers that are yes. like, yeah, let's do this. So cool. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to what happens. I if, think, I, everybody is looking so forward to 2014. One more thought,
0: though, on that media deal. Um, I think, yes, it's great that we're going to ha- be able to watch the event live and we're going to be able to do the heat analyzer, and there's a certain segment that's going to do that. But I do like that they're trying to make the highlights package available to the people who maybe are just um, marginally interested in surfing you know and so i think that's what's required to grow the sport to where it need you know to where everybody would like to see big dollars coming in and in order to do that you got to just start easing society's exposure easing them into it sure and that's probably what the highlights package will do
2: it's like heroin first one's free Okay, how about alley-oop gate? Uh, yeah. Julian Wilson boosted a ridiculous alley-oop during the Rip Curl Pro at SuperTubes last week. It immediately went viral and the comparisons to John John Florence alley-oop at the Oakley Pro in Bali earlier this year began in earnest. Which alley-oop was better?
0: I've answered every of your questions first, so you answer. What do you think uh, is better?
2: I think that um, uh, John John Florence's alley-oop was better in Bali. Now Julian's I think was higher, but I'm sure that you've watched them both over and over and over again like I did. It's my gut feeling that that or not my gut feeling, but after watching it, Julian did a couple of pumps, two or three pumps to set up the massive alley oop, which I see as lost scoring potential.
0: There was a section that he
2: Yeah that he could have hit. almost done it on, yeah. yeah. Whereas John Johns was like basically one little fin check top turn and then down to the bottom and boosting. Uh, I do think Julian's was slightly larger, but I just think that John John's was more, um, it had more flow, if you will, more use of the wave in the correct way that the wave needed to be utilized. Uh, both of them were fantastic. Both of them were incredible. John, uh, Julian landed a little bit more in the flats, looked more like a knee buckler. Um, John John's just a little cleaner.
0: That's inter- an interesting point about him passing the section because I noticed it, but I didn't really take note of it. You know, now that you say it, you're like, I'm thinking you're right. That's something I've criticized Gabriel Medina for doing in the
2: past. Well, I agree. And I was thinking of you talking about Gabe, because to me, that's what this is going to come down to from a judging standpoint is, okay, look, Let's say five years from now, everyone's busting airs where it's going to be like, well, is he passing up scorable potential to bust an air? Because if he is, then we're not going to judge the air as high. I think we're going to get to that place where it's yeah. like if you're setting up your air way down the line and you're not utilizing the wave, you know, it's not going to score as high. As
0: yeah, far. absolutely. Um, I do agree with you that John Johns was better. I think I, I really, I mean, I had to watch it 10 times each before I could even... Tease apart what the difference was. My general, my first instinct was that John John's was better, but I wasn't sure why. So um, let me give you the results of my finding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, um, so I think John John's casual style is slightly better. I like that he landed in the transition of the wave, as you noted. I mean, it's like uh, if it was a half pipe, you know, he landed right in the most critical part of the half pipe. Julian did kind of land in the flats but he had a little bit of the falling lip to cushion his blow as well or cushion his landing as well which isn't his fault that's the way the wave broke but it made his job a little bit easier um more importantly the biggest difference i think that a lot of people overlooked is that i feel like john john florence was more intentional in his rotation like he hits the lip and he pulls his left knee in and starts kicking with his back foot into the rotation. And so by the time he's at the pinnacle of the air, at the, the height of the air, he's already two-thirds rotated. Julian is kind of, Julian's air is kind of a more traditional alley-oop, the kind that we used to see Tim Curran doing in the 90s, which is lofting straight up into the air, and then when you're at the height of the air, doing the rest of the spin coming or down. Or letting
2: the gravity kind of Follow Co- correct. It. Right. Like
0: if your fins were actually in the water and you're going backwards, it spins you around once you get that down momentum. Right. And that's the same momentum he's doing in air. It's like lofting into the air real high and then just spinning back around and landing. That's Julian's motion. Right. Um John John's was a more like single motion kicker mm-hmm. of a rotation, which is kind of nice. Can, you, can
2: next- you do an aerial? Not like that. <laughs> you have done an aerial? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I've never done an aerial. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so I want it to be noted for the podcast. Sure enough. <laughs> this um, is awfully technical. <laughs> it's awfully technical. And again... I've seen your credit card error. Actually. Yeah.
0: <laughs> again, I needed to watch it 10 times to even yeah. figure that out, you yeah, know? Yeah.
2: But... The, again, and and that, even that is like, something tells me that I like the idea that, um, you know, according to you, Julian's was almost, there wasn't as much thought to put into it. It was just more like, here I go up in the air and here I come down. And you're telling me that John John's was almost like more thought put into his body mechanics to get the air to be completed. Totally.
0: Yeah. I And to be honest, before I analyzed it, like the first time I saw the air, it looked like Julian was almost doing a kick-out, like a big air kick-out. I know he wasn't, and I know his intention was to land it, but the way that his body mechanics were was just a little bit more like that, like just lofty kick-out kind of thing, and then slink it around and land it. John Johns, again, was a more intentional rotation.
2: Yeah. And that's the difference. Interesting stuff. Um, Speaking of rotations, Nat Young received the ASP Rookie of the Year Award. Congratulations to Nat. Now, um, Nat Young was in the running early on, along with Hawaiian Sebastian Zietz, and uh, Nat then ran away with it. He had a great rookie year with two second-place finishes, a third-place finish, and two ninth-place finishes. David, will Nat Young continue on this pace in 2014, or will there be a sophomore slump? I think he will.
0: It's easy to say and to get excited with the hype, um, and that's probably what I'm caught up with. You look back at Gabe Medina and he hit a slump when nobody expected him to be able to hit a slump. Um, But I don't know. I feel like Nat, he just has... Gabe's was raw talent that got him to where he was. And he was doing a lot of air maneuvers that we hadn't necessarily seen before. So it's fresh for the audience, which I think the score is reflected. Nat, on the other hand, is applying tried and true power surfing, which we've seen a million times before. He's just doing it better than anybody else, than any other goofy footer is doing it. So, I I don't see um, where he could fail.
2: You know? Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't anticipate a sophomore slump much for the reasons that you mentioned. Nat Young has been competing since he was like twelve years old or earlier. He's been doing this his whole life. Um, he's proven that he's worthy on tour with the big dogs. He is a big dog. He's a very calm guy. He seems to have a very sort of level. Um, you know, attitude towards everything. He's not big highs and big lows, which we saw out of Gabe Medina either before or after heats where he would certainly um, wear his emotions on his sleeve. So I think that steadying sort of um, capacity that Nat Young has is going to help him. And I only anticipate bigger and better things for Nat Young in his sophomore year. And uh, I certainly look forward to continuing to have him on my team yeah. next year. He's done well, wonders for my fantasy. Without him, I would be in dead last instead of second to last. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm the only guy who's behind you then. Um, but I do like, I think what you just said, like his steady, even kind of mindset and um, has been reflected in his in his results. It is steady and it is calm, but it's high intensity. You know, like Mick Fanning's running at a 10 in terms of intensity right now, but there's been seasons where he's at a six. I feel like Nat Young's at an 8 and because of his upbringing that you mentioned, he's able to sustain the 8 long term. You know, it's not like he's going to run out of gas by running at an 8 and going to need to drop down. He's just built to run at an 8.
2: So, here's things to watch out for for Nat. A new girlfriend in the picture.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. No, if there is oh, okay. if
2: there's a new girlfriend in the picture. If his entourage next year grows crazy If he gets a new sponsor where expectations change, those are sort of things that, especially as a fantasy surfer player, to keep an eye on, that could potentially cause sophomore slumps. But if he keeps everything the way he has been doing it this year, as far as entourage, crew, management, sponsors, all of that stuff stays the same, things will be good for him. Now, let me ask you this. Nat Young, will he ever be the world champion?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. I would think that it would take a little bit more well-rounded surfing to become the world champ.
2: Has there ever been an American Goofy Foot world champion? I don't think so. CJ Hoggut. Oh, yeah, 2001, yeah. it just came to me. That yeah, was the yeah, year yeah. that they abbreviated the season because of 9-11. Yeah, good call. Right? Was that? Yeah, 2001. Yeah, yeah it was. Um, other than that, you would think Derek Ho, he's sort of Hawaiian. Is he, you know, that's is that American, Hawaiian? I don't know. Um and then I can't think of any other Goofy Foots. Do you think Nat could be world champ? I do. I do. I think he's got it all. I think he can be the world champ. I mean, there's some great waves at great lefts. He kills it on rights. He's got a beautiful backhand. Um, he does airs. He doesn't He's sort of got it all. It's just a matter of some of those things that I mentioned a minute ago. If these things cause distractions, then we have issues. But I think he has the mental makeup. You know, I look at mental makeup. Like, I look at Dane Reynolds and I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, like, how much does that guy weigh now? Right. (laughs) But he doesn't have the mental makeup to be a world champion. Yeah, he's a great free surfer, whatever. There's a million great free surfers that are going to come and nip at Dane Reynolds' heel sooner than he realizes. Which is what John John Florence did to Jamie O'Brien, quite frankly. Jamie sort of, like, was in this great space and all of a sudden John John just goes, guess what? I just grew and I'm here. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, yeah. You sort of took the mojo, the pipeline mojo away from Jamie. Totally. That, um, I don't see that happening with Nat Young. I yeah. just think this guy is is a polished professional. And again, he seems to have great parents have been brought up, right? Like everything's in line for him to win a world title.
0: Yeah. I, I'm, maybe I agree with you. Um, I think I was surprised at how uh, handily he took the rookie of the year title. Like I would have thought Felipe Toledo. Had I had to bet money at the beginning of the year, I might have bet a little bit more percentage on Felipe, you know. And then I like Seabass a lot, but I don't think he has the mental fortitude that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, Nat just took it to him. So,
2: tell me about your must-see moments. Do you have a must-see moment? Just one moment that that you might recommend to the listeners, like that they should watch.
0: Yeah, I like that question a lot. I think we should do that each episode. Yes. Um, my must-see moment is Connor Coffin riding the Black Beauty at Jay Bay in Highline.
2: Great take. That's a great movie. I watched it the other day. Very inspiring. My thing is uh, with the Black Beauty is I'm not sure that's a real Black Beauty. I think he just put the black rails on his standard, one of his standard Channel Islands. Well,
0: I'm glad you said that. I was at Channel Islands a couple days ago, and they said yes, it was. I don't care what they said. <laughs> and did,
2: would you like did, to did, buy one? Did you ask him who shaped it? I no. bet they told you Al Merrick shaped no.
0: it. No, the, the conversation was open and we talked about Al too. And, uh, but, but what was interesting to me about that performance was he out
2: Knox Oh, God, he's, he looks so great. That was so inspiring. And there was a lot of great chatter, and Brad Gerlach chimed in a lot about it, and, and it was all right, spot on, you know. The lineage, you know, from... They were talking about the lineage. Gerlach was talking about the lineage on Facebook, from Richard Cram to Brad Gerlock. ...to Connor Coffin, you know, because it, it, because Co- Brad does a lot of training with Connor and Co- Do you know too.
0: if they're still working together?
2: I'm not so sure that they are. It doesn't um, seem like No, because Brad's like off in Japan and Bali all the time and Connor's doing his own thing. Yeah. They probably, you know, hook up every once in a while. Maybe after the season, you know, I really don't, yeah. I don't have any insight there.
0: Well, so the video Highline, for those who haven't seen it, it's everywhere. It When I watched it, it was after 24 hours and it had 35,000 views. So, you can find it out there. It's an 18 minute surf video which mainly features Jay Bay. It's Connor Coffin, Parker Coffin, Tanner Godowskis, and Taylor Knox. Um, to me, the two performers were Tanner Godowskis and Connor Coffin, but Connor by far surfs better than everybody and he's writing the classic channel islands black beauty that tom kern made famous uh
2: presumably presumably <laughs> i'm um, calling bs on that but
0: but writing i like, used to own one of those what <laughs> not,
2: not that i can how does like it a, look different uh i'd have you know i just didn't look like the real deal okay but i could be maybe i'm wrong it's I, it's all just fun and games taylor
0: I'm, knox barely got any clips in the video and looked like he was writing the wrong board throughout the thing um but Connor just rail to rail to rail, and it was just gorgeous. Which
2: is the best Godowski's brother? Uh, Tanner, no doubt. No Tanner doubt. is yeah. the best one.
0: His board looked a little big in that video. I have a question though um, about that. You said you watched it. I hesitated to watch it for 24 hours because it was 18 minutes long.
2: Is 18 minutes too long for a web clip? For that particular, uh, I don't. Here's what I'll. Here's how I answer that. Get rid of everything but Connor Coffin and you've got a great clip. Just yeah. show me Connor. Yeah. That's all I need to see. Right. It's just Connor's rides and I would have been happy. Yeah. The other stuff was cool too. Yeah. Whatever. You know. But whatever the, the length of the video, if you just would have trimmed it down to just Connor, yeah. we would have been happy. I, I was
0: such a big fan of surf videos growing up and for a long time, even web web edits. I'm wondering if the medium has just gotten played out at this point but i'm i'm less interested to watch surf videos than ever before and um if it's more than three minutes it's going to be tough for me to click play on it the two that i've watched probably in the last two weeks were john john florence's i have not seen that again is it it, or no i did see
2: that actually there was
0: originally there was again and then he just released a newer one called and again um i watched Jordy smith's now now a while back too but you know it's kind of like If the top guys and the top editors put together an A-plus clip,
2: then I'll push. You're only allowed to choose one in this proportion of the show. One must-watch. You've mentioned about four must-watches.
0: Those aren't must-watches. This is just Connor Coffin, Highline. Um, Okay, well, here's my
2: must-watch, which isn't a must-watch. Okay, here's my must-watch. Yes. It's called Searching for Sugar Man. And it's a documentary film that won the Academy Award last year. Searching for Sugar Man, you're going to want to watch that movie. Now, my flick that isn't a must watch, but I want to tell you about that I watched recently and was, I just came came across it on Facebook, was a Clay Marzo clip. I don't I even I, know what it was called. I don't even know if it's new, but it's Jay, Clay Marzo and Western Oz. And, um, trunking it. You're trunking it. And, yeah. and he's an incredible free surfer. Yeah. Incredible surfer. Sponsorless. Good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean... No, Clay rips. Clay, um, the barrels... The, my only issue with Clay is that up until this West Oz kind of jaunt, which I guess he's dating a girl out there, and the reason why he's been spending time out there, he really only spent time in Maui surfing the same type of wave, and he surfed it better than anybody ever has or probably ever will, taking off on closeouts, getting super barreled forever, and then doing his patented, layback, crazy turn that he does. He's the best at it, but I've seen it probably 300 times that layback.
2: Boring. Even, yeah,
0: even within <laughs> the space of one edit, they'll show it 30 times, different versions of it. Yeah,
2: it's just, it is incredible, especially the, the one version where it turns into this one footed thing where yeah. he's just got his back foot on and somehow he has the board find his, his front other foot on. Is it his front foot? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, you're right. You know, you, after three minutes of Clay Marzo, maybe three minutes is the limit on any video.
0: And I saw that you posted that video on Facebook. And I honestly didn't click play because I know exactly what it's going (laughs) to be. But let's go back searching for Sugarman. Yes. I did watch it. Oh, good. Yeah, I watched it um, before the Academy Awards last year. Recommended it to everybody. Yeah. Um, And it ties into something else that I'm doing right now. I just interviewed Sean Thompson last week on his new book that he released. Yeah. And I'm going to be posting that episode a week from today, next Monday, October 28th. And... I'm using one of, um, Rodriguez is the, the feature guy. Yeah, the, the
2: character, the main guy in that movie. In Searching yeah. for Sugar
0: Man. And so I'm using one of the song, one of his songs in the Sean Thompson piece because I've loved the song. It's my favorite Rodriguez which, song. Which one is it? It's called Crucify Your Mind. Okay, cool. It's one of my favorite Rodriguez's songs, period. And I've always wanted to use it for something and it just never had a place. And... The Sean Thompson thing, it le- the mood lends itself so well to the Sean Thompson interview. But Sean Thompson's also from South Africa, which is where that's, the movie takes place. That's right. So there's extra um, attachment to it. But um, side note, man, the Sean Thompson interview, I am so happy with.
2: Yeah, that's uh, we're looking forward to hearing that. That's yeah, really good. Yeah, thanks, man.
0: Yeah. He he really... Um, the book is interesting, and we, d- we cover the book, but he just delivers such insight and thought behind everything that he says you feel kind of like you're in the presence of greatness you know well you
2: are he's a great person yeah i'm a big fan of his yeah me too and i'm glad that you did that you got to hook up with him and and uh i look i'm going to be doing some things with sean in the future too and i'm I'm looking forward sweet now I, i do want to mention this uh you can join pennywise the band pennywise for a special surf rider benefit dinner concert and live auction. And that's November 15th at St. Rock in Hermosa Beach. So I know we have listeners around the world, but if you're in Southern California, in the South Bay of Los Angeles, Pennywise, a large surf rider benefit dinner concert and auction November 15th again at St. Rock. And uh, you can go to St. Rock with an dot e, S-A-I-N-T-R-O-C-K-E.com to get tickets and find out more information about that great benefit for the surf rider foundation now david we're going to end with this your best song what's the best song ever and don't tell me you can't narrow it down to just, i need to know the best song ever
0: best song ever period damn straight. not in a surf video not whatever just the best song ever dude i'm going to go oh i hate answering this question i spent more time <laughs> prepping for this question than i did for all the others combined uh you lead off
2: okay here's the best song ever i'm gonna play a little bit of it for you i'm as you know a big fan of the Almond brothers and it's my contention that this is the best song ever just take it in for a minute okay i'm listening (laughs) See, you're just cringing So I got to take you to the lead though Break it down Why is it the best ever? I'll tell you why Just listen to this We got to get to the lead Here we go. Here we go. This lead guitar. Maybe it's because I was brought up by the Allman Brothers. Yeah. You know, late 70s, surfing, single fin, whiteboard, black wetsuit. Is this song in a surf video? I've made one that has this song in it. Yeah, yeah. It's a bootleg. Sure.
0: So it's a great song. Allman Brothers are fantastic. Um, I'm going to go ahead and turn this off. So, so my thought...
2: Blue Sky by the Allman Brothers. Yeah,
0: Blue Sky. Brothers. And I like that it's a kind of deeper cut from the Allman Brothers, too, you know? Like I Midnight Rider or Jessica or something I might have expected, but, um, but that's a deeper cut and it's really good. That's so, the
2: best song ever.
0: It's a great song. No, no, no. Just say it. Say best song ever. I'm not going to say Ugh. it because I have my own opinion on All this right. situation. Fair enough. Don't, don't look. What do you got? Devo? I'm not going to no,
2: let you cheat. I'm just wondering what you got. So How old are you? Let me ask you this. 32. Just turned 32. 32, so I'm just going to... 81. This is from 81? No, I'm from 81. Uh,
0: <laughs> I have no idea what... Okay, we're gonna so check it now. out. Devo. No, it's not Devo. Check it out. You say best song ever. I feel like... There's a lot of songs I like that I wanna listen to, but when you say best song ever, it's like, well, now I gotta choose something that is, um, like, would be technically proficient to play, or took a genius to write, or it's probably gotta be classical, or something like that, because those songs are actually better. Like, if I had to only listen to one song for the rest of my life, it would probably be something classical or jazz. Oh, well, then that's the something, best song ever. Something you have intellectual.
2: Not, you have not proved that this no. is the best song well, ever. Well, you
0: just pick 70s rock, and I have something <laughs> that can compete <laughs> with that. But
2: the best song ever. No,
0: this. I'm a huge fan of The Kinks. Oh, interesting. And so I'm going to present you with... From Lola versus The Power Man, Strangers. Well, So, all right. A little bit slower, different pace. Different. Doesn't have, doesn't have the radical. I uh,
2: like that you two chose something sort of deep in the vault.
0: Yes, but doesn't have the radical guitar riffs that the Almond Brothers are capable of. But the Kinks, English band, in my opinion. As good Can as I the just Beatles. Say one
2: thing. What? As good as the Beatles? Did you just say that again? Said it out loud. Oh my God. The Kinks as good, as, as, good the as the Beatles. Did you hear that, folks? The Beatles. Just, <laughs> I, I just love, credited himself. No, no, no. I love
0: the Beatles, but I think they're a little bit overrated. Kinks a little bit underrated. All right. We meet in the middle. Fair enough. Okay. What well, you
2: got? Best song ever. We'll do this again next time. Okay. There'll be another best song ever. Alright. That's all we've got for today. Unless you've got something else. Because I gotta run. No. All right. I'm good. So um, you can email Scott at uh, surftalksandiego at com, And you can email David Lee Scales at
0: hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. And I'm on um, Twitter at boardroom show. And you're
2: on Twitter? Yeah,
0: Twitter and Instagram at surfsplendor. And then you could search surfsplendor on Facebook too. Um, we do like a, a profile show every other Monday, essentially. And this upcoming Monday, of course, is the interview with Sean Thompson. So last week was with Robert August and Charlie Smith in Maui.
2: So cool. All right. Well, um, surfsplendorpodcast.com and down the line radio.com. Until next week, adios and aloha. Thanks.
0: I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. You can continue this conversation on our website in the comments section, where we also have links to everything that we discussed in this show. Or you can continue the conversation on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, where you can find us at Surf Splendor. If you listen to Surf Splendor on iTunes or Stitcher, please rate the show and leave a comment. It helps grow the show and it helps others to find it. Click the subscribe button on iTunes and Stitcher and all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. Also, we have an internship available for an associate producer. If you love surfing and storytelling, go to our website, surfsplendorpodcast.com and send us your resume. It's a great opportunity to meet legends of our sport. We're also really excited about the launch of our episode with Sean Thompson on Monday, October 28th, so please don't miss that episode. This is David Scales saying thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendid.